I'm Tyler Smith, and this is More Than One Lesson, episode 100. Josh, my co-host Josh Long. Josh. How's it going? Not bad. How are you? Pretty excited. On this 100th episode it's a of gala More day. Than One Lesson. It was what? It's a gala day. I agree. Now, of course, uh, episode 100 doesn't mean much when we've done literally dozens of minisodes, but uh, but those are minisodes. Yeah, they don't count. They don't count. They're not, uh, they're not canon. It's just gravy. Say. What was that? It's just gravy. Extra. That means it's something extra that you don't necessarily need, but is okay. It's nice. Huh. So you feel like in anything, like with mashed potatoes and gravy, you feel like, I don't need that gravy. Well, I don't actually like gravy, so that that doesn't apply to me. You don't like gravy. Yeah. Listeners, let me explain something. Uh, As as I think we might have said before, but I want to repeat, Josh eats basically everything. Almost everything. I don't like gravy. It would appear gravy. I don't like gravy. I don't like olives. Um... What about it, olive gravy? There's at least one other, other thing. I have to assume I would not like <laughs> olive gravy, but I, I haven't tried it yet. Okay, fair enough. Um, I don't like black licorice. I'm, I'm with you on that one. Well, I'm with you with on anything you don't like, I probably won't Probably like. not, yeah. So, all right. That's so, all that comes to mind, though. So black licorice. Oh, pickles. I don't like pickles. You don't like pickles. Mm-hmm. That surprises me. Yeah. All right. Episode 100, finding out <laughs> all about your- uh, It's about time. Those are the four things you don't like. If I were to limit the if I were to limit myself to four things, I would say seafood, Mexican food, <laughs> really any ethnic food. So let's let's t- spices. Let's, you could say spices. I'm not opposed. To, I'll say most spices. Okay. So seafood, <laughs> ethnic food, most spices, <laughs> ethnic and uh, being f- made to feel bad about any of those. I know that which is not in itself a type of food. I'll tell you what. It's hard to swallow. (laughs) Oh, sorry, everybody. I recognize that uh, many of you have donated to the show recently, and uh, I assume you... uh, That money's gone. Sorry. Yeah, that's... uh, We we sunk that into seeing uh, God's Not Dead. You're welcome. Uh, So, uh, I will say, as I tend to uh, over on Battleship Retention, when I hit a a milestone, like, uh, like an episode 100... Uh, it has been this show has been going for almost five years, and it has been a huge blessing in my life, uh, especially getting to know a lot of you. And you guys have been remarkably supportive. Um, uh, I, I do a, a, I do a, adopt a, a theory of vulnerability on the show, and I, you guys have uh, made me okay with that because almost every time we delve into something where I'm going to be a little open, uh, my first thought is like. The, going into it, I'll be like, "Oh, this is scary," and then afterwards, I'm like, "Maybe we just don't have to. Maybe we just don't air that. That sounds good. <laughs> let's just let's hold off on that." Um, but yeah, but you guys have been really uh, gracious and really supportive uh, of both me and Josh. And uh, hey, Josh, thanks for being on the show. Hey, you're welcome for these uh, 
How long have I been on? I was trying to remember. Episode 44 was your first 44? episode. Okay. So that's 56 episodes and and tons of minisodes. Tons. So Probably like 100. At this point, you have been on the show. You've been a part of more episodes than not. Okay. So that's very exciting. So now this is more than one lesson with Tyler Smith and Josh Long. I'm not changing the logo. Um, <laughs> but that's that's what it is in spirit. Right? I think so. Yes. Yes, that's correct. All right. Um, I felt so, like I was at a hearing all of a sudden. Yeah, These are kind I like of set to, up that way. I like to do a, a nice, long, quiet take uh, on audio. That that works really well. Right. People nice, really respond to that. A nice Jack Benny take. That's that's what works really <laughs> well on audio. Uh, but anyway. someone had the violin. So, yes. Uh, so, it has worked. Uh, it's The show has, has been a lot of fun to do, and it's been great in some cases meeting uh, a number of you in some cases in other countries. And so I appreciate everybody continuing to listen. Uh, and I will move into announcements. We do have a guest that I will uh, bring in because this is a very important episode. Uh, all right. For those that don't know, uh, last week, uh, sorry, by the way, we pushed this episode back a week, uh, for scheduling purposes. But, uh, last week we talked about no country for old men continuing our best picture series. And that episode came, that minisode, pardon me, came to about uh, 50 minutes long and it's a fairly in-depth discussion. Um, and it, I even cut some stuff out of it, by the way, uh, stuff that had nothing to do with no country for old men. 50 minutes is long. It is. You, you probably can't call it a minisode. The key is to keep these episodes long. Oh, that way, I see. That way, those, those still qualify. Anything under it. an hour is a minisode, I think. Okay. So this right now is a minisode. So far. Just let us know when we hit actual episode status. Yeah, shoot us. Uh, you, I should let you know or the listeners Just let, let me let know. Then, okay. I, then I can start taking it seriously. Fair enough. Fair enough. Because then you know it's canon. Right. It's, it's part of the canon. I and mean, otherwise... Uh, so, okay. Uh, I did mention, uh, that people have donated to the show. Uh, we very much do appreciate it. And we have already used some of that money to see, uh, well, Noah, the movie that we're talking about today. And then, uh, next week we'll be talking about God's not dead and we will be, uh, and we used your money for that. Uh, that is, that is the most direct thing that we are using, uh, your donations on is to be able to go and see, uh, these films that otherwise we might have to wait for video on because uh, ticket prices are expensive here in Los Angeles. Um, but yeah, so if you wanted to donate to the show, uh, you can go to the donation button on the side of morethanonelesson.com. If you scroll down, there will be a little a little PayPal button, and uh, we appreciate everything that uh, that you guys have done for us. Um, you can sign up for our newsletter, which is which gets sent out once a month and reminds everybody. Uh, of what uh, what they might have missed on the website and on the show in the last month, uh, there is a possible there is a possible WonderCon meetup for Battleship Pretension, which means, of course, that's one half of more than one lesson. Um, it's not set in stone yet. That that'll be probably the 18th or 19th of April. As I get more information, I will let you guys know. There will definitely be one for Comic Con, but that's not until July. So we'll we'll give you more information as that goes on. So uh, so yeah, um, just watch the website and the Facebook page, and I'll probably put it on Twitter as well. Uh, and last, I didn't mention this. Um, I was interviewed for uh, I was interviewed for a website called Faith Flicks, uh, talking about the philosophy behind uh, More Than One Lesson. And it was very in depth, and uh, and so you can go to I'll pr- I'll put a I don't know the exact uh, URL, so I'll put a 
uh, a link to it in the show notes for this episode. But, uh, but yeah, it, that was, uh, it was a lot of fun. I'm very excited that they, that they asked me to be a part of that. So, um, all right. I think that does it for announcements. Uh, I will welcome in our guests. See, here's the thing. It's episode 100. And when you hit a milestone like this, you gotta, you tend to look back. I know I do. I tend to get really nostalgic. And, uh, before there was Josh, every fourth episode or so, I had a guest. And this started with, ep- with episode number three, in which I talked about Larry Charles' uh, terrible religious. Um, and, I, and I brought on a good friend, and he's back now. And he's back only for nostalgic purposes, not because I, I have no intention, I have no expectation that he's going to bring anything to the conversation. Nathan Potter. Nathan, how you doing? Pretty good. I'm glad the expectations are so low. I don't uh, prove feel... me wrong, Nathan. No, prove me wrong. No, I don't want to. I'm okay. Good. Fair enough. <laughs> uh, so, Nathan, uh, you have not been on since, I think, our episode about Fireproof. <laughs> yeah. Which was, I don't know, like episode 13 or 14, right around there. So, mm. it's been a while. Perhaps I'll have you on more often when, uh, you know, I just want a little pick-me-up or something. Oh, oh, okay. I guess sure. I could call you. You could call That's me. That's an option. I yeah. do know you socially. We could hang out. Fair enough. Yeah. Fair enough. Maybe every you. every Sunday you could go over to his place and he could talk for about 30 minutes. That sounds like good. That. That's, that sounds good. <laughs> his place is closer than my church. Yeah. So, you know. That's that, actually true. I know. I know. You and I could just meet for coffee and then neither of us have to go to church. Hey. I don't think that's... You can minister that's to a good idea. Now we're getting it. No, that's a good idea. <laughs> yeah. That's... Now we're getting into ecclesiology. You know, more than one lesson is all about solutions to problems. (laughs) All right. What is it to be a Christian in the modern age? Well, find your pastor friend or administrative assistant striving to be a pastor and then go to lunch with him once a week. And you don't need that. There's your fellowship. There's your sermon and you get to eat. And you know what? You pay for the, pay for the pastor's uh, breakfast or lunch. There's your tithe. There's your tithe. Yeah. Listen to some music on the way there. There's your worship. You come up with some kind of, you know, it doesn't matter what you're listening it to. Can you be can come up with some by way. ACDC. Yeah. In fact, I almost insist on it. There's probably something biblical you can glean out of that. I mean, look at this show. Oh, no question about it. Oh, boy. Shoot to thrill. Play to kill. Yeah. Too many women, too many pills. Yeah. I'm pretty sure there's sounds, something about that. In the yeah. It sounds like he's speaking out against uh, libations. <laughs> it's, it's, it sounds like he's just, uh, you know, this guy's chasing after the wind. Yeah. I'll tell you that right now. Hey. Ecclesiastes. All oh, vanity, thanks. I thought friend. I was just putting words together. All is vanity, my friend. <laughs> so, I was agreeing with you. I know. I just, it's just, it remi- uh, everything reminds me of everything else and I can't comment <laughs> on all of it. Um, now I want to go and find a, a Bible verse that each song off of Back in Black could theoretically be based on. I'm going to do that you as soon as I get could. home. <laughs> you probably could. Given the dog a bone, I bet we could probably... I feel like that has a, that one would be a little trickier. It'd be tough. Yeah. It'd be tough. <laughs> some, probably some in Lamentations. Um, yeah, I feel like between Lamentations, Proverbs, and Ecclesiastes, you're probably going to cover it. The yeah. the funny thing is, some. Uh, nah, I'm, I'm never mind. I'm not going there. Okay, I appreciate <laughs> it. Uh, and we do need to uh, to get into it. Thank you, everybody, for indulging us uh, in in this. Uh, hopefully, you are still listening. Uh, but I know you are. But what am I? I? I knew that was coming. Uh, so much so that I lost my train of thought. Uh, <laughs> I thought I know you were doing you another Jack Benny I thought pause. You, yeah, I thought you were going to say it. And then I was like, is he waiting for one of us to say it? 
Yeah, it came into my mind, and I was like, well, you should just say it. Well, now you're not talking, so you should say something. <laughs> what was I going to say? I don't remember, because now all I've got is, but what am I? Uh, what I was going to say is that uh, is that I know that people are listening, because boy, oh boy, uh, people really seem to want our opinion of Darren Aronofsky's Noah. Uh, I got a lot of emails about it, and... And then when I didn't get emails about it, uh, you couldn't go through Twitter or Facebook for the, the enti- that entire weekend without seeing people's opinion about it, specifically uh, Christian people's opinion about it. Uh, and by and large, they love the, it. Oh, they seem it, to they, love it. Yeah. Oh, it's the new passion of the Christ for them. <laughs> uh, yeah, it has been a uh, remarkably negative opinion. Uh, to the point of even people that I like and respect, there is a blogger that I really en- that I really enjoy, who's primarily a political blogger, um, and I but I, I tend to like his his approach to, approach to things. And then he wrote uh, an entire article about how much he just hated the film and all that. And Parham's like, all right, well, I guess I shouldn't be surprised because this guy is not he's not a film person, and so I, I understand maybe not catching on to some of the nuances and it's not a remarkably nuanced film. Everything is pretty big, but, um, but Rolling what, Stone said it was epic according to a sidebar ad that well, I hey, saw if today. Peter Travers says it, it must be written in stone. Um, <laughs> Rolling Stone. Oh, <laughs> on the cover of Rolling Stone. Um, so uh, now I just have Dr. Hook in my head. Yeah. It's, <laughs> uh, so, I will say I was thinking of doing a, a minisode on this just for myself. Uh, before we get into our response to Noah, uh, I've been sort of toying with: well, should we should we talk about other people's thoughts? And uh, and I think no. Um, I mean, maybe a little bit here and there, but I don't want to dwell on it too much because, frankly, uh, what with the uh, the panel that I was a part of and now. Noah coming out and then God's Not Dead coming out. I've seen both films. I have definite opinions on both films and they tend to run counter to what the vast majority of Christians think. And um, and I find when this happens, there are, there are a handful of things that I know that I can get really prideful about. And when I tend to run counter, I, I, I don't force it. It just sort of comes about naturally. Uh, but when my opinion goes against that of mainstream Christianity, part of me feels like, yeah, I get it. And these jerks don't, uh, it's one of the only instances where I feel like my, uh, film knowledge is, uh, like superior to other people's. And then, so when I'm feeling that I'll just head over to battleship pretension, realize that a good number of the listeners have seen more movies than I have and be like, all right, there's the humility. Um, but in this case, it's something that if I'm not careful, it's very easy for me to adopt a mocking tone and to be and to really just dwell in negativity, superiority, and that's not what this is about. It's not what it should be about. And even even if other Christians are adopting that tone towards this movie that I liked a great deal, um, that does not give me license to be that back, uh, whether it's to somebody directly or not. And so, uh, so I'm going to try. I'll, I'll say this: anybody who um, who might be tuning in, thinking like, "Oh boy, here we go." Now it's you know, because I've done it in the past. I mean, you and I, when talking about fireproof, probably adopted that tone from time to time. Yeah, maybe. Um, and so, uh, so if if and certainly next week is going to be rough. Next week we're talking about God's not dead. It's going to be hard not to adopt a certain tone, uh, but we will try and. Uh, 
But in this case, we're going to try and talk about the movie specifically and approach it as a, as if it were any other, any other film. But it is not. That's the thing. It is an adaptation, kind of, of the story of Noah's Ark. So we're going to jump right in. I say we jump right in as though it wasn't 22 minutes in. Uh, we're going to jump into this, and I will ask for just broad opinion before we get specific. I will start with Josh. All right. Noah, go. You want just a broad opinion? Just – you know, you liked it in general thoughts about it, uh, and then we'll probably get specific about uh, the artistic quality. Um, and you can talk about your expectations going in as well. I didn't have a whole lot of expectations. I purposefully did not see the trailer or any promotional things except for the billboards that were all over Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Um, I was very intrigued by it. I remember saying to my wife that I feel like people are either going to love this movie or they're going to hate it. And then started to, even going into it, I started to think, I feel like people can't do anything but hate this. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's not going to get, people aren't going to like it. Because if it's, even if it's very close to the biblical story, um, I think Christians are not going to like it probably because it's coming from a non-Christian. I, and uh, I, th- I think there's a there there tends to be a sense sometimes of uh, this is our thing. How dare somebody try and come in and mm-hmm. interpret it their way? Um, I personally think there were a lot of Christians that were coming into the movie ready to be offended, and then you know, surprise, surprise, found out that they were offended. Um, so it was that, and then I thought any if it treats God as real, it's going to get a bunch of you know. The, the mainstream uh, non-Christian population is not going to like it because they're going to think it's affirming something that's not true or they're going to talk all – all the all the typical uh, complaints they can have just about Christians, about it being superstitious or, mm-hmm. or uh, unbelievable or silly or something like that. So it, it really – it's almost as if this movie was for no one. <laughs> it does uh, sort of seem that way, yes. And – so that's that was I think was the last thought that I had going into it. Um then I mostly enjoyed it. I mostly liked it. There were a few things I didn't like. Um I think I, I guess we can go more into more specific things about it later, but I I did like it in general. Um I felt like while there are departures from the story word for word as it's told in the Bible. Mm-hmm. There are not as many departures from that story as I think people, as some critics would have you believe. Right. Um, considering that I, I feel like if you look at this one, you're like, this is nothing like the real story. Then you've never seen a film adaptation before or are unfamiliar even with the idea. Mm-hmm. I just watched the hunchback of Notre Dame, the, the, uh, uh, 1923 Lon Chaney version. I've never read the book in writing on the uh, the piece for for Battleship Retention, I went back and researched what happens in the actual book. Totally different. The ending is totally different. Like the half of it, half of it is not at all the same. And that's not atypical in film. A lot of times, yeah. film they take a piece of the story. Look at uh, There Will Be Blood. Nobody was talking about how that movie was terrible, but that's nothing like the book. Yeah. So, uh, all that to say, this is a much truer to the actual story adaptation than probably most movie adaptations are. 
Now, let that me, might be an overstatement, but a lot of them, certainly. Now, you, you've brought up something, uh, and I don't want to dwell uh, solely, as I said, I don't want to dwell solely on what other Christians thought. But uh, somebody brought this up, and I thought it was an interesting point, one I obviously don't agree with, but I thought it was an interesting point, um, in which he said, uh, you know, there are Christians out there who have no problem with the departures that this movie has uh, from the biblical account. Um, but will be up in arms if, you know, if a studio makes a strange casting choice in a comic book movie and suddenly it's like, no, it's, we got to stay true to the comic book character and that sort of thing. It's just like, Mm -hmm. and this person said, you know, if anything, it's like, why do you care so much about something that doesn't matter? And then you are so nonchalant about something that does. Mm -hmm. And I think it's an interesting point to make, although I, I will argue that part of me is like, I'm, I find interesting casting choices refreshing no matter what it is yeah um yeah and but yeah to respond to that first of all i'm i'm again also like you i'm not really that person there are sometimes i'm like that seems like a stupid casting choice but i'm not one of those people that's going to go online and rave about it yeah um how furious i am about it but i think and maybe this is getting into something big that i want to talk about the film too early but uh i think what that that person whoever it is that said mm-hmm. what you're saying what they're missing is that it's the nature of the departure from whatever this original source material is. Yeah. And it can be at times that the nature of a casting choice goes so against what that character is or who that character is supposed to be like yeah. or something like that, that it stops being that character, that it takes away something that's important enough from that original subject uh, you know the the original subject matter that it either negates it or uh, you know diminishes it in a in some big way. Yeah, the things that are not in this in Noah, I feel like, are not things that diminish the story. Yeah, like the core story. Yeah, like uh, there have been people who have interpretations of it that say the theology is way off. I don't really think it is. Right, maybe that's something you Nathan have more to weigh in on, but <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> I, I feel like, yeah, I feel like the, the diversions are different. That's the wrong word. The, uh, uh, I, I think I've used the word already. Now I can't think of what it was. Mm-hmm. I can't either. All I can think <laughs> of is abandonment. And I don't think that's what we're going for. The, uh, but you're always thinking that, <laughs> The things that the major things that don't match up with the story are, are details, like mm-hmm. the fact that Noah's sons' wives would have all been on the right. ark, mm-hmm. and and the the rock monsters, yeah. <laughs> Which it's funny that I feel like everyone uh, independently came up with the name for those, even though they're not called rock monsters in the movie, yeah, and they're once. certainly and they're not, not monsters called, officially. Yeah. No, but I I started calling them rock monsters, and then I saw you called them rock monsters on Twitter, and yeah. I assumed you did because other people have. And no, Nathan and I started. We called them that immediately yeah. after the movie. It's everyone, everyone that's just exactly arrived where we that independently. Yeah. You know, rock monsters. They even have. They're even called Watchers in the film multiple yeah. right. times. Doesn't we should matter. remember that. No, rock we're monsters. all calling them. <laughs> uh, yeah, and we'll we'll actually get to the rock monsters in a moment. But I agree with you. Yeah, it's you know whether it be casting or or what you include from a story. Like if 
you know, if if they were making a Spider-Man movie and they cast Donald Glover as Spider-Man, which was like a, a thing that might have happened several years ago, uh, some people were like, oh, they made Spider-Man black. And while I do understand, it's like, well, okay, well, there can be – there are certain cultural associations that come with like black versus white. So it's like, okay, I get that a little bit, but the nature of the character is the same. Right. If they were to cast, I don't know, Mickey Rourke as Spider-Man, <laughs> it's just like, hmm. This character has taken on a different tone. <laughs> or if they were to just have Spider-Man pull out a gun and shoot somebody, uh, like Indiana Jones fighting somebody with a big sword, then it's just like, that is not the character. You have now strayed. You've I'm fine with differences, but now you've strayed so far that this character is not them anymore. Yeah, And I, I agree with you. I feel like the tone of the story of Noah and the beats, the spiritual and emotional beats are still the same. Yeah. And so within the world of that movie, God is definitely real. God is definitely the creator of the universe. God definitely told Noah that there was going to be a flood and what he needed to do about it. God helped him to build the ark, made the animals come to him. It's all the like main things yeah. that have to be important in the story up to the ending where, uh, even even to the rainbow, the rainbow yeah. signifying that this isn't going to happen again. Uh, so all of the important beats, I think, are there. Yeah. Now, they're, the biggest the biggest place people have argued against that, and this I think we'll talk about later probably, is the uh, – I think people are reading um, God as unmerciful in wanting – I think some people are reading it as God wants Noah to kill the daughter and the, or sorry, the, the babies. Yeah. Which uh, spoilers We're we're all over spoilers for this. So sorry, yeah, everybody. Um, because it's again, because it's not exactly the same as the story, yeah. you know, the biblical story. There are some different things. So if you were coming into this, having read the, the Bible, but not seen the movie, there are going to be spoilers. Sorry. I probably just did the biggest one. That's uh, um, fine. But, uh, anyway, some people are reading that, I think, as that is God's will. I, I think that's a misread I, of the movie. And we can get into that more later. But And we will, yes. Yeah. Uh, but before we do, I will – Nathan, I turn to you. Uh, let's let's go with expectation okay. and then general, uh, general impression. Okay. Well, uh, going into the film, I wasn't – very similar to Josh. I wasn't expecting – I'd say my expectations were neutral. Okay. I wasn't expecting something that was – like super faithful to the nature and character of God and the story of, of redemption. Um, but I also wasn't expecting something that was super adherent. I also wasn't expecting something that was super adherent to the text Mm -hmm. because, um, if you, if you read the text, it's three chapters, very, very, very little dialogue, Mm -hmm. very little, action you could maybe make like a 15 minute animated short on it uh if you just went from the text but so if they're gonna make a two-hour epic duh there needs to be some stuff in there that's not in the text so uh i wasn't really expecting anything like that i also wasn't looking to pick it apart or Mm -hmm. or anything like that i was just going to watch a movie and kind of see what it says and Mm -hmm. i think actually surprisingly Actually, as I was sitting listening to Josh, I was thinking, like, why didn't 
why didn't I come out? Because I've heard other people say that they had problems with the plot and, and these kinds of things. And I just wasn't watching it like that. I'm trying to figure out why. I think when I have expectations for a film, I go in with this like super critical, like what's the story doing? Where's the, where's the character arc? All this stuff. But with Noah, I was literally just like, I don't know. I'm just going to watch this movie. See how, see how it goes. Yeah. Um, so those, those are my expectations. Okay. And you, and your, your thoughts, your initial thoughts, like coming out of it, uh, coming out of the film. Yeah. Aside from rock monster, obviously. Right, right. <laughs> to the tune of rock lobster, obviously. <laughs> yeah. Um, goes without saying. Absolutely. I think so. I had to say it just in case. My, my favorite part in the movie was where somebody went under the dock and there they found a rock, but it wasn't a rock. It was a rock monster. <laughs> <laughs> I was wandering through the desert. Um, Anyway, everyone had matching towels. <laughs> you should rewrite the lyrics to that song, but have it be Noah happening upon the rock monsters. The rock monsters. My first instinct is that that's probably been done about 80 times already, <laughs> but maybe not. Cause so maybe many not. people said rock monster. It's like the, there has to be a cross section of it's, people who are aware of rock lobster <laughs> and saw Noah and immediately started saying rock monster. It, it gets so easy because the, he, then he's up on the ship and he can be saying there, here comes a stingray. There goes yeah. a narwhal. It, yeah. This thing, yeah. this thing writes itself. <laughs> so, there's a, there's at least one person out there listening to this right now who has never heard the song rock lobster and has no idea what we're talking about. Google it's it. by the uh, B 52s. Correct. Oh yeah. I believe yeah. So. Yes, it is. Of course it is. Uh, Fred Schneider. Yeah, there it goes. No, okay, all right. Uh, moving on. Uh, so yes, initial thoughts. Initial coming, thoughts coming out. Coming out. Um, initial thoughts. I liked it a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I may have said I loved it mm-hmm. coming out, which seems strong, but liked it a lot. I was pleasantly surprised at themes of the, of the film being justice and mercy and. Uh, seeing a very accurate accurate portrayal of the complete depravity described in scripture um and and giving the audience a very clear understanding of why the flood was necessary i was surprised by the faithfulness to that mm-hmm. i thought that there were attributes of god that were that were surprisingly adhered to mm-hmm. uh there were nods to Little moments, little nods to the greater biblical narrative, uh, the the greater story of redemption that I was impressed by and didn't want to be too quick to give all the credit to the writers, uh, to be honest, because they don't, they don't adhere to what we believe. They don't right. believe the same things. So my first response was like, God in his providence has like helped these guys understand to a certain degree. And that's pretty amazing. Um, I did, you know, uh, so those are my, that's my initial, initial okay. reaction. I have a, a few other thoughts actually after mulling the movie over. Okay. But. Um, all right. Uh, we'll, we will get to those in, in one moment. Sure. Uh, that'll be the next thing that we, that we yeah. get into. Uh, yeah, for myself, uh, I went in knowing Darren Aronofsky's work though, having not seen the fountain. Um, I'm not a huge fan of Requiem for a dream. I enjoyed the wrestler and then black Swan was my favorite movie of that year. Uh, and I was excited. I was excited that a, whether I like him or not, he is a very definitive filmmaker. He is, uh, he's definitely an auteur. He has his way of doing things and that is the way they are going to be done. And I respect that. I admire that. He has a strong visual sense. I knew, and, and that excited me 
because I know it sounds strange and maybe a little kid-like, but you know, you when you grow up in the church, and sometimes even if you don't, you grow up hearing, you know, David and Goliath, Daniel in the lion's den, Garden of Eden, Noah's Ark. Like you hear these stories, and then you'll see them in you know storybooks. You see them like illustrated and stuff, uh, but you don't often see them on film. And then when you do, it's not uncommon for it to be like a made-for-TV movie with not a great budget. What I was excited about, one of the things I was excited about was I know at the very least, it's like I may not theologically agree with it. I might be offended by it. I I didn't think so, but it could happen. Mm -hmm. But at the very least, I was excited to see major aspects of the story of Noah's Ark represented on film. Mm -hmm. I know that's a very simple – like I wanted to see a bunch of animals willingly walking into this giant boat. I know it sounds weird, but like it's – it's a neat image Mm -hmm. and it, and it was, and I was excited to see how that would be realized by, uh, by Darren Aronofsky. And, uh, I'll I'll say now that didn't disappoint, uh, on that, Mm -hmm. on that front. Um, but then, uh, also just almost all of my anticipation was artistic. I I'm a big fan of Russell Crowe, but I feel like he hasn't been doing a lot of great work lately, Mm -hmm. partially because he hasn't been asked to, but also just, you know, I like that he took a risk with Les Miserables, but I don't think the risk paid off. I don't think he's a very good singer. I don't blame him. I blame Tom Hooper, the director. Um, but like there was a time, I mean, this guy was in romper stomper, LA confidential, the Insider, Gladiator, A Beautiful Mind. I don't love all those movies, but I love him in it, in them. Uh, Master and Commander, The Far Side of the World. I think he's astounding in that. And just, and then after that, it kind of trailed off a little bit. I do like him in Cinderella Man. He's playing a very different type of character for him. And so uh, I was excited to see Russell Crowe really sink his teeth into something. And that led to that thought led to something else, which is if they stay completely true to the biblical account, I hate to say it, Noah will not be a remarkably dynamic character and there won't be much for Russell Crowe to do emotionally. I mean, you could have him deal with the emotional ramifications of, of hearing the people outside die, you know, and that there's a lot you can do there with an act, uh, with that uh, as an actor. But I just thought as far as an arc spelled differently, like a character arc, I felt like there wasn't going to be much for him to do. That's if they stuck with the biblical account, like word for word. And so I thought, well, I'll bet because Darren Aronofsky is a filmmaker first, I would not be surprised if he incorporates some character stuff that people aren't going to like, but that I will find infinitely more interesting. Yeah. Can I speak into that for just By a moment? First of all, you reminded me of one of my of, – of another impression that I had coming out of the film. I was absolutely in awe of the way the film was shot mm-hmm. the the way the animals came in like just generally mm-hmm. there were so many things that that were captured that were just beautiful and i felt like the moments that really should have been treated with reverence that should have impressed the audience with a sense of wonder yeah. did so i, I would agree yeah. with that but i remembered um another one of my another one of the things i was looking forward to going into the movie was I had read early, early on when they first announced the project, Aronofsky said something to the effect of, I've always been fascinated by Noah. I'm excited to explore this character, this, this righteous man 
working for God who is then racked with guilt or mm-hmm. something to that effect. And this idea that Noah had like survivor's guilt almost. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Why like, me? Man, that is, why not me? That is an interesting thought. So I was eager to see that explored. So yeah, sorry, I, sorry to interrupt you there. I, they, they brought so much again, like we've said already, there's not a whole lot of his thoughts and, you know, the exact dialogue or whatever in the biblical story. So there's a lot of these pieces that he has to fill in. The filmmaker has to fill in some way. And I feel like he does in a very, thoughtful way mm-hmm. and um i mean there's a lot of things that because we don't know exactly how because it's not ex- outlined exactly in the story we don't know how it is that god told him these things you know mm-hmm. like we don't know that it's a big booming voice that came down and said those things word for word and so i feel like the film kind of imagines that this is one of the parts that i really liked about it when he tells or when God tells Noah what to do and how to do it and what's going to happen. It's kind of through these dreams and, uh, and visions. And, um, I really like that interpretation of it because, uh, that speaks a little bit more to us on a, I guess in a modern day basis. Cause none of us hear that booming voice talking from the clouds regularly. Yeah. It's not a, it's not a Monty Python film. Right. Exactly. And, and so, <laughs> He has to imagine some way that that happens in order for that to happen in the film, and I, I like the way they did that. It seems, it seems like a filmmaker really sat down and was like, "All right, if God's going to speak to him, how does God speak to him? What that, happens?" That's you know, the, it's interesting the way you phrase that because you said a filmmaker really sat down and worked on this, mm-hmm. tried to have it be as fully realized as possible. Which is all right, we are, and that's the thing. That's why somebody like a Darren Aronofsky, like I was excited about. Him just as like not that I was aware of Last Temptation of Christ when it came out because I was six years old, but uh, since then, mature filmmakers who are interested in exploring character, story, theme, like no matter what, they're interested in exploring that first. They will take the material seriously. Yeah, and he, like you said, he sat down and said, "All right, how am I going to do this? We're dealing with God. We're dealing with a God that is actively involved." Yeah, in his creation. And then that leads into that approach leads into what, what you guys were just talking about, which is uh, how he's feeling on the arc, the, the guilt that he's feeling, the doubt on whether or not uh, he's supposed to bring more people along, like yeah. whether or not I, I, the, the Bible doesn't say anything about children being born on the ark, but in theory, if, if that were to have happened, mm-hmm. would Noah have felt that, you know, like God told him, you're the only ones that are going. Would he have felt like he had to kill any children that were born in the ark? I mean, it's not, that's not really a stretch. Yeah. It's, I mean, as I've said before, almost any time I open the Bible and I, and I read about, you know, uh, a biblical figures like reaction to things or even just things that the, that the Bible says itself. Um, I often think, man, I, I shouldn't be surprised by this, but, and Nathan, maybe you feel this as well, but just like, this is surprisingly relevant. You wouldn't, th- you, you, in, you don't instinctively think that like when it comes to, for example, uh, the one I always return to is the idea of depression and the idea of just extreme melancholy that terms like depression stuff. They seem like a modern idea. And that certainly people back then, they were so, they were so busy, you know, feeding themselves and not dying 
that they don't have time for depression. But you see over and over again, like you see a deeply melancholy mood and stuff. And as I've said, as I've said on the show before, it often surprises me just how aware of what humanity actually is. Um, the the Bible is, mm-hmm. and so in that way. I mean, while it doesn't specify a lot about Noah while he was on the ark, you look at any number of the of biblical figures and you realize like these people dealt with doubt, they dealt with their own sin, their own misinterpretation of things. You take that, put it on Noah, and then incorporating you know, the idea as you mentioned as you mentioned, the idea of survivor's guilt. That's a very real thing. And if literally the entire world has been wiped out except for you and your family, that will have an emotional impact on you. You know, if this film had had he and his family admittedly happy to be alive, but then just, you know, shouting and being super excited all the time, that wouldn't have felt real to me. Mm-hmm. And oddly enough, that would have distanced me from the character of Noah infinitely more than what they actually did with him, mm-hmm. which made him not even a flawed person, but just a person, you know, and I guess there are flaws that come in later, but flaws that I think are totally understandable. Um, so you said that, uh, you know, Nathan, you had an initial thought, you had initial thoughts coming out and then after a few days of kind of mulling it over, you had, you had some more thoughts. So let's, let's get into those. Oh, all right. Um, <clears throat> well, first I, I want to agree that making Noah human is probably the best thing Aronofsky chose to do. I, the, the objections that I've heard from friends about, some of the the character choices for Noah, I just uh, baffle me. Like, what did you want him to be? He can't be Superman. The reason, first of all, the reason Superman's boring is because he's perfect. I agree. <laughs> Second of all, um, God knows humanity, mm-hmm. and he he has created us with a range of emotions and ability to create and interpret. And sin has corrupted all of those things. And something that Aronofsky understands. And I don't love Aronofsky's work. I find him incredibly depressing, Um, (laughs) but actually surprisingly hopeful in in Noah. Mm -hmm. But um, one of the things he fully grasps is humanity's flawed nature. We are Mm -hmm. deeply flawed, every last one of us. So um, I, I really appreciated every single character in the film Mm -hmm. was human. Not one of them was Jesus. Uh, you know? Yes. Thank you for saying that because that's – that I think is what people wanted. They wanted – they want their movies and they want their biblical characters to be like – we want them to be squeaky clean. Yes, yes, yes. Throw in a, a certain type of flaw but not the kind that would ever make me not sympathize with them for a moment. Right. Not not the kind that the Bible actually tells them. Exactly. They have. The thing I go back to over and over again <clears> – <throat> is just the sheer i would say insanity but it's not insanity it's it seems to us insanity that david can be called a man after god's own heart and he does some of the most despicable things mm-hmm. in the bible it is astounding to me how is that possible and it's like well perhaps god sees things that we don't see and the things that we do certainly uh grace and forgiveness does not make those things right, but it implies that there is a deeper love and a deeper connection than simply, oh, well, he did this thing. Get him out of here. I don't want any part of him. And so 
if 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 God can refer to uh, David as a man after my own heart, am, is, am I getting that quote right? Is that mm-hmm. about right? Um, if God can refer can refer to David that way, then I would say that from a creative standpoint, you can make any other biblical character, with the exception of Jesus, and even that. I think Last Temptation does it pretty well, but I know you and I uh, differ on that a little bit. Mm. Um, but like those other characters can those other characters can be pretty malleable while remaining who they are, and and yeah, and it's just sorry, I'm I'm repeating myself from earlier. It's just Noah is never meant to be is never meant to be perfect, and in fact, the inclusion of the scene in which he makes wine and gets drunk and then Mm -hmm. lays naked on the beach. That's a scene directly from the Bible. That's a, that's a spot on adaptation. Yeah. Almost as, I don't think this is why he put it in there, but almost as if a reminder, it's like, Oh, you don't, you don't like this character to be flawed. I guess what? Here's this. I didn't, I didn't make any changes here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's just, uh, I, I have a problem with that way of thinking. Um, and I think Darren Aronofsky did what any good artist would do, which is how do we make this character not merely relatable, but dynamic. Mm-hmm. Um, so, okay. Uh, we'll move into kind of the specific things that we like, and then maybe some things that we don't like. Um, I'll start. Um, it's my <laughs> show. Episode 100. Um, five podcast award nominations over the years. Um, five. That's right. That's right. <laughs> No wins. Never going to be any wins. Never going to happen. Well, let's not speak too soon. I th- you know what? I'm very comfortable speaking to that one. It's uh, it, You know what? It would take a miracle. But as it happens, there are other Christian podcasts in the category. So he's going to have to spread that miracle around. That's how it works, right? <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, some of the things I've talked about already, I will say uh, the, the visuals of the film I think are beautiful. Not merely the spectacle of the ark and the animals coming in. Uh, one of them, there's this gorgeous set that takes place, uh, this gorgeous scene that takes place at sunset, uh, in which Noah is just standing in silhouette and then his wife comes to, to meet him. And that's just such a, I can't even explain it. Like, it's just such a gorgeous shot. There's like, it's right at sunset. I mean, there's just the last trace of orange and blue and just, it's just such a scene of like meditation, the character trying to come to grips with what it is he has to do Mm. stuff like that. uh, Shots like that. And then sequences that are beautifully edited, like the creation of the world. Mm. Uh, First off the history of man, but then uh, including the garden of Eden and that sort of thing. But then also there comes a, a time when Noah tells his family, the story of the creation of the world from the very beginning. And they go, you know, by the biblical account, by the mm-hmm. Genesis account. And that sequence is so full of life and energy and it's so beautiful. And I'm sure some people would watch it and it, and it you know, it incorporates aspects of, of like evolution and that yeah. sort of thing. And I'm sure a number of people would, would watch that and that would immediately turn them off. And I understand that, I guess a little bit, but for me, it's also, we do see it's like, it's like, okay, animal turns to this, to this, to this. And then humans just appear like it doesn't necessarily make that last jump, but Mm -hmm. it does. It just celebrates. It celebrates creation, couching it in the idea that there is, in fact, a creator. Yeah. And I'm sorry. I I felt like one of the things that I liked about it was it also shows that act of creation as something 
uh, supernatural and mystical. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. it's not just. Uh, it's not just because there are a lot of Christians now who are just fine to accept God did the Big Bang and then the the world came into existence the way that we know it happened with science. Yeah, um, I feel like this sequence. <laughs> It is a little bit of an open-ended sequence. You kind of could see it either way. Yeah. Um, and people who are just going to see it as like, well, this is this is the evolution. This is that just Big Bang and, and uh, uh, everything coming from their interpretation. But I, I don't know. I didn't read it that way. I saw it more as like something, something mystical, something supernatural, something yeah. that happens in a way that we can't understand. Yeah. Which I liked. A lot of those – a lot of the things that happened in there – Throughout the movie, and that's in that part, and then in the in the dream sequences, and in the fact of just the animals coming to the ark, and all that stuff, it just it really affirms this this at least within the world of the film, um, it affirms this idea of there being a supernatural, there being something yeah. that is outside of what we can understand, yeah. and being comfortable with that. I almost wish there were more Christian movies that treated it that way, that just treated it as there there are things that happen that we can't explain, yeah. all the time. That's the world that God created. Yeah. And we will talk about God's Not Dead next week as a film that, like, refuses to have, like, an effect without a cause. Like, just always drawing that line from, okay, we know why. We always know why. It's like Mm -hmm. sometimes we don't know why. Mm -hmm. Uh, We only know that a thing has happened and how wonderful it is that it happened. Because that's the thing is every moment when God – inserts himself in the film he's he's never referred to as god he's referred to as the creator mm-hmm. um and i know some people had a problem with that and part of me was just like it would be it would have been nice to hear the word god but by calling it the creator everybody whether they are on his side or against him everybody in that world acknowledges that he started it all it all mm-hmm. everything that we have started with him he is the creator and we this is creation including me and so it just showed an entire world connected to this idea um, to the point where the, the, the villains are not people who, who dismiss the idea of a creator. They simply rebel against it. And so, um, so yeah, I even, I even like the, the word choice, but anytime the creator uh, inserts himself, it always feels like, it always feels like this, magical by which i mean mean like from an emotional standpoint it just feels like this magical wonderful positive thing even when it's something that is ostensibly bad and that and this you know like the death of of a lot of people um and that goes to what uh i forget who was saying i think it was you nathan talking about one of the other things that i really liked was the acknowledgement that like yeah these these people are really quite terrible like and and i know a lot of people have focused in on the environmental message that oh they were not good stewards of his creations like yes there is that they are also murdering each other Mm -hmm. and buying and selling women and that sort of for their own pleasure it's like that i feel like maybe yes i guess there's the environmental thing but they keep coming back to the imagery of cain smashing abel's head with a rock and to me it's like and that is what it always points to Mm mm-hmm and it's saying therein that is what humanity is not humanity uh, oh the, went after this animal and is trying to kill that animal or something like that it's like it's bigger than that that is viewed as a symptom of what humanity is which is constant consumption and focusing on the self and keeping the self going all the time 
Which brings me to maybe the thing I liked most in the film, strangely enough. You know, actually, before I get to that, I thought the performances were great all around. I thought Mm -hmm. Russell Crowe was wonderful, best work he's done in years. Jennifer Connelly, the character, isn't given much to do for the first two-thirds and then does tremendous things towards the end. giving me kind of a new a new lease on Jennifer Connelly. I used to I never used to think she was a really great actress, but she does everything the character requires her to do. Then we come to Ray Winstone. Uh Tubal Kane, mm-hmm. I believe is the name of the character. Uh he is for all intents and purposes the villain. Um do, while we're starting to talk about him, does anyone know like I've heard that name before and I feel like he is some he's not an actual biblical character is yeah, he he is. he is okay yeah. where does he appear in the he's bible he's a descendant he's a descendant of Cain okay okay stands to reason yeah because I knew I had heard that before and I thought like where does that come from is that from somewhere else in the bible or is that just some kind of like uh, uh I don't know legend or some kind of piece of no yeah he's in there okay. I'll tell you what while Tyler's explaining I'll look there you go all right uh so, yes, it's not enough that just the people are viewed as this way. They do I, – I I don't always like this, but it can work. Uh, they do need somebody to speak for them and to uh, espouse that ph- their philosophy. And they have it in the form of Tubal Cain who is, who is basically their leader and is the – the harshest among them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the self-proclaimed king, it yes. appears. And uh, – and he's played by Ray Winstone. And I, when I first saw like the trailer and I saw him and I was like, ah, oh, this is not going to be – it's not going to be a good character. Ray Winstone is not going to be required to do much here. I think his performance is wonderful uh, because he plays this guy not as a villain. He is villainous at times. But in his own mind, what he is doing makes sense. He is, he is descended from Cain. And why should I be punished – for what my you know forefather did, why should I be punished for that? Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because it turns into something of a self fulfilling prophecy. Mm-hmm. Because he's mad that he is condemned uh, for something he didn't officially do, and then that anger and that resentment then leads him to do exactly the thing that he's being condemned for. You might say that anger, fear, and aggression lead him to the dark side. You might. I mean, I would if I was a certain type of person, but thankfully, I am not. Hmm. It's true. Darren Aronofsky agrees with Yoda from Phantom Menace. Um, <laughs> Finally, a film that is a film that is affirming of what Yoda has to say. If it was announced, I know that you're not a, you're not thrilled, Josh, with the uh, the new Star Wars movies coming out. Hmm. If it was announced that Darren Aronofsky was going to direct one of them, what would you think? Um. <laughs> I might, I might be excited about that. I don't know. I remember before, uh, before the new Batman franchise was mm-hmm. was launched, I always thought that Christopher Nolan can make an awesome Star Wars movie. Okay. Now that he's done all the Batman movies, I feel like he, he he's too much that sort of thing. I don't know. I don't. I think he. Yeah, I think J.J. Abrams is a good. Not it's not a bad choice. It's not. It's Tonal, not a bad choice. I think, he, I think he'll get it. We'll see though. So, seeing as how he's basically been trying to make these star trek movies into star wars movies i feel like now that he's doing what he wanted to do the whole time then i like the star trek movies don't get me wrong no i enjoy them too and and, but i wasn't a fan of star trek before and i i understand that some people who were don't like these movies they're just separate it's fine we're getting into a whole different discussion okay uh go ahead and then i'll continue he's the son of lamech he's like that great great 
to so many greats. I'm not really sure how many. Uh, grandson of Cain, faux show. He is going to Genesis. A jerk. He going to Genesis four twenty two. The forger of all instruments of bronze and iron. Hmm. Which hmm. they actually do incorporate into the uh, into the film a little bit. They do. Um, That's interesting. In uh, in a scene reminiscent of like Lord of the Rings and such. Yeah, a little bit. Um, it's funny because on the one hand, I'm my first thought is, well, everyone in this world is either a great 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 grandson of Cain or Abel. Wait, not Abel. The not other anymore. one. The other one. Um, That's pre flood. After the flood, everybody's a descendant of Noah. So, right. right. But I'm so saying Seth. in in that world, I, I oh, said in this world, world, I meant world. this world yeah. of the movie. <laughs> yeah. Um, but the fact that Tubal Cain's mentioned in the Bible must have meant that he was a prominent grandson, mm-hmm. great, great, great grandson or whatever of Cain. So he was somebody important. So he may have been like this character in the film. Maybe. Very it'd possibly. Be, yeah. And it's, and he's such a dynamic character because like I said, he doesn't come off to he doesn't come off like a villain. He thinks what he's doing is perfectly justified and makes a lot of sense. And there is a scene, man, I love it. And it is the scene before everybody's going to storm the ark. And he gets up, it's in the rain, he gets up and makes a big rousing speech. It's not like a super long monologue, but he makes a big rousing speech to his men. Uh, and among the things that he says is that if we band together, we're invincible. Um, which incidentally, I feel like everything he says in that monologue is pro- is, is a little reminiscent. It's a little uh, Tower of Babylon, um, which is if we just band together, then we will we can accomplish this great thing. Yeah. Um, and at the same time, it feels like it could have been in Henry V or something. No mm-hmm. question about it. It could. It is if you look at it just from a sl- just a slightly different angle. It is a heroic speech. Yeah. It is a speech of of insisting on our own rights. It's a it's a Braveheart speech. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In, in in any other movie, it makes a lot of sense. It's fighting against oppression. And so and the fact that they incorporate this kind of speech and this kind of guy uh, into the film, I like it. I like it a lot because how often, you know, it's easy to look at just these people that destroy the earth and kill each other. It's easy to look at that and just say, Oh, well, those guys are bad. They should, they should definitely be drowned in a flood. But then they give the, the, the lead uh, heavy. They give him lines that any number of us have found inspiring in other contexts. And that we ourselves have probably said, if not uh, that we have probably felt, if not said, maybe even specifically about God. And, and the the choice to include that to include and by the way towards like as the film goes on uh Noah his beard gets longer he starts to get white hair he and Tubal Cain don't look too far apart actually visually and i just and the and the movie makes the character of Noah himself makes it clear it's like there's really not that much difference between those that were spared and those that were not uh and i just love it i love any movie that tends to bring the quote unquote hero and the quote unquote villain closer together and realize there's not that much difference is something I like. And I think it speaks tremendously to one of the themes we'll talk about, which is mercy, because if there's not that much difference, then what is the difference? And it's just, well, it's just God's mercy. Um, but we'll talk more about that later. So, uh, 
so yeah, the visual style, the acting all around, the including uh, the inclusion of Tubal Cain, and uh, yeah, and I think I mean there are a lot of other things I like, but that's all I'll mention. Nathan, I go to you. Are there specific things that you really responded to? Um, well, you've mentioned uh, a few of them, along with Tubal Cain to kind of I guess use that as the bridge here. Um, <clears throat> there were things that he said that I found appealing. Mm-hmm. I wanted to believe them, mm-hmm. even though I don't like I, I know that they are wrong, <laughs> selfish and, and opposing to God. They struck a chord with, uh, with what scripture would call my flesh. Um, and, and I thought that was, that that's a genius move by the writers to, to have, Noah, specifically when he retells crea- the creation account. Yes. To have both Noah and Tubal Cain tell the creation story from their perspectives and for both to be appealing for completely different reasons. Um, it, I thought that was great. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything I like that you haven't already talked about. Uh, I enjoyed the film in general. I liked Methuselah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. as a character. I actually liked Anthony Hopkins. I, I don't know about you guys, but I just feel like, man, Anthony Hopkins could have, with the exception of the Thor movies, could have not worked for the last 15 years. And I would have <laughs> been cool with that. Like for what, like he just, he kind of has a bag of tricks that is just like, all right, I kind of get it now. Yeah. He's got a bag of tricks. That's definitely one of the things. The other thing is like, suddenly he decided that film was theater and he wasn't going <laughs> to distinguish anymore. <laughs> like early in his career, he made a clear distinct, like he clearly distinguished like, Oh, I'm doing a film now. So I'm going to downplay all this. Yeah. And then somewhere in the late nineties, he was like, nah. And I, kinda, think, I, I think, think it gotta, started with mask of Zorro maybe and, <laughs> where he played a Spaniard for some inexplicable reason. And, and, and it just kind of went off from there. But in this film, mm-hmm. I found him to be genuine I felt like he fit in that world. Yeah. He wasn't being Anthony Hopkins. He was very, he was Methuselah. Yeah. Yep. That's great. Um, I really enjoyed him as a character. I loved, uh, how is it ham that had a wife on the boat? I think that's Shem. 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 Yeah. Shem. Uh, Ham was the second, Mm. uh, how Shem's wife gets included into the story. I love that. Mm-hmm. Like her whole arc there was great. Yeah. I get, uh, the arc looked really cool. Yeah. <laughs> it was awesome. It looked cool in precisely because it didn't look the way we all expected it. Not to look. even close. Mm-hmm. It was like, Oh yeah. If all you had was a bunch of trees and ax <laughs> and like some mud, like that's probably yeah. what you were throwing together <laughs> yeah. right there. Like, yeah, we don't need any kind of uh, aesthetic flourishes here. Yeah. We're just trying to uh, keep from drowning. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a big box that floats. That's all that matters. <laughs> we got, we got to, we got to prioritize here. Yeah. 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 Uh, function over form. <laughs> So, uh, that's all I can think of it at the okay. moment. I mean, cause I, we've already talked about so much other stuff right. that I liked. Okay. And I, I just kind of, yeah. Oh yeah. What you said also. So, <laughs> well, uh, yeah. And we'll move into the, the themes in, in just a moment. Uh, Josh mm-hmm. specific things that has, that have not yet been mentioned. Uh, are there any that you can think of that you really responded to? Wish I could remember like one random thing and just say, yeah, I like the way that one guy said, yes. 
That was pretty good. That was good. Oh man, I wish I'd uh, thought of that. Everything else we covered. Um, now we we kind of talked about this already, but I really liked the the dream sequences. Mm-hmm. Um, because I I think I said this on the show before. I'm not a big fan of uh, CGI stuff generally. So even though I like thematically and story wise how the stuff with the animals plays out, um, that that visually wasn't didn't do as much for me. But I felt like the the dream sequences are more the kind of thing that I respond to visually, um, especially with some of the tricks that they do there, like the the flower coming out of the ground. And maybe that is a CGI thing, but it doesn't look like a CGI thing right. to me. The animals looks like a CGI thing to me. Um, um, yeah, the stuff with like the the blood on the ground outside yeah. the mountain. Now he knows he has to go mm-hmm. find Methuselah. Um, those those sequences I really responded to. Mm-hmm. And I remember there being a similar thing where he wakes up and it's in that uh, silhouette like you were talking about before. I don't know if that's yeah. the same scene where he and uh, the wife talk about something right by the sunset. It might be a different moment. But I remember him waking up from yeah. the dream in that moment. There's a real cool uh, silhouette profile thing while you see the colors outside. Maybe you want to go to Iceland. Isn't that where they filmed? Oh, I don't know. I think, I think it was Iceland, and I was like, this place just looks super cool. You know, I, th- I thought of one other thing. Normally, I prefer a director to just, like, tell me the story, and from that, I will glean his point. Mm-hmm. But there is a moment where it was pretty obvious, I think, but it was so, it was so like, I don't, I don't know. There was something about it that was done well, and I, I liked it a lot, where Aronofsky went a little Brechtian. And it's it's in the it was in the sequence when um, Noah's retelling the creation story and the history of man is one story, mm-hmm. and Cain strikes Abel, and as he does, the silhouette goes from the silhouette that we've come to recognize as Cain to being all kinds of different soldiers and warriors yeah. from oh, all yeah, kinds yeah, of different yeah. time periods throughout human history, and the same thing happens to Abel. Like both silhouettes are suddenly like shifting. Um, their their historical periods, and I thought that was that was a nice little like. See, guys, actually, all of us are in this boat. Yeah, that's yeah. this is all of us. So then, from that moment, it happens midway th- midway through the film, I think. So, oh yeah, yeah, it does. It happens during the flood. Yeah, because it's so, when they're on right. the ark already. So, as an audience member, you can't help but think, man, if I'm in this story, I'm not on the boat. Yeah, <laughs> I thought that was a really powerful storytelling technique yeah um and we will and i'll i'll use that to bring us into uh the theme a little bit um but before i do rock monsters <laughs> all right look is this are we talking about things that we 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 weren't into uh oddly enough no oh, okay <laughs> uh but but maybe Okay. Uh, I wasn't expecting them. How could I be? Yeah. Um, are they, on earth could you have been expecting I still them? haven't seen the trailer. Are they in the trailer at all? No. No, I don't. It think took so. a lot of people by surprise. <laughs> I know. When it happened, I I can't imagine what the look on my face was when I first saw that. I would have been like, "Now what? What's that now? Yeah. Yeah. What's happening?" I, I think I, my immediate thought was, well, "That's interesting." <laughs> yeah, I think oh. if I had said something, it would have been like, "Okay." Um <laughs> All right. Uh, now, now, we, now where are we going? <laughs> yep. And that, and incidentally, uh, I will now pat myself on the back for what I just said. It's okay. Now what? So yeah. many people are just like rock monsters. I'm out. In mm-hmm. fact, 
the theater where the three of us, along with our friend Dan. Hello, Dan. Hey, Dan. Um, oh, boy. Palms. <laughs> That's for you, Dan. Uh, the theater where we saw it, there are three women sitting in front of us who didn't seem remarkably into the film. They were a little chatty, checking their phones. Yeah. They got up and left, and like they left the movie right around the time of Rock Monsters. Is that when they left? I was trying. They I chuckled that a now. little bit. I heard them say the word Transformer. <laughs> then they all got up and left and did not come back, which was great because they weren't. They, they were distracting me. Yeah, but I would not be at all surprised if they're like, "Okay, I'm out. Huh. Uh, I can't do this." I hadn't thought of that. I, in my head, I constructed the narrative that they had come to they were teenagers who had come to sneak into a rated r movie and were going to go into noah for the first bit of it and then they remembered it was pg-13 and it's no no they were they went into noah to then sneak into another movie oh i see i see i don't think they were 13 though i think they were considerably older than that yeah i didn't say 13 i said high school oh okay either way i think they were i think they're older than that yeah i go i go mid-20s on that really yeah i think they were mid-20s i was i was confused because i was like because I, I heard them talking, and I was like, what did you think you were coming to see? Yeah. Well, and you know what? In their defense, not rock monsters. <laughs> well, yeah, but sure. You came to a Darren Aronofsky film, though. Like, did you expect that it was going to be, like, car chases? And Yeah. Well, we're getting into a theory anyway. of mine about uh, about uh, consumer responsibility when it comes to art. But anyway, anyway rock monsters. Rock monsters. Uh, yeah. That is I, – I liked the use of them. Um I don't know theologically like how well it plays out that like they're fallen angels that are then forgiven. I don't think it works out super well. Uh, <laughs> I did like it. I liked the idea of forgiveness being extended. Uh, I enjoy it. I like that the phrase forgive me is said right before we are seen. We are seen. Uh, we are allowed to see God forgiving somebody right before incidentally a scene of massive judgment. Yeah. And I like that because it's yet another instance of God being actively involved with what is happening. And they explain why the rock monsters are, in fact, rock monsters <laughs> and not angels. Um, <laughs> well, they are angels. They are angels, but they're rock they're monsters in, first and foremost. The rock. <laughs> yes, thus making them <laughs> rock, rock monsters. monsters. Yeah, absolutely. Look, we all know it. <laughs> um, so it worked well for me, and I especially like – I forget who I was talking to about this. Oh, I, I recently was on uh, the podcast Screen Bites talking about Noah, not going into as much detail as I'm sure you can imagine. Um, and I believe he mentioned that he really liked the way the rock monsters moved, that they seemed – they weren't like Transformers because mm-hmm. they weren't meant to be this. You know, the they are – like the earth and rock is attached to them and they have to, they have to uh, move around in spite of this. And so I thought they worked really well uh, in that from a visual sense. I thought they were very well realized. And what I will say is if somebody has listened this far and either you haven't seen the film because you heard about the rock monsters or you don't like the movie because of the rock monsters, the question is not, you know, the question is not, are they there? And if they are, I'm out. The question is, what did he do with them? What purpose did they serve? And I thought they served a tremendous story purpose, certainly, but also a thematic purpose. And along those lines, I'm perfectly fine with them. Mm -hmm. Would I have thought to include them? No, nobody would. No sane person (laughs) would ever have thought to include them. Um, but But if they had to be there, 
And I could make the argument they didn't. But if they had to be there, that's probably about the best that they could be used. Yeah. And and they and it worked for me. Well, and it, it's also not that it is totally out of nowhere because in the like in the Noah passages where they talk about the like the Nephilim, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which granted that this is probably not what they were rock <laughs> monsters um but I, I don't know i've heard a lot of different in- interpretations on what that actually means and what those people or creatures actually are so i don't know i mean that is an interpretation of it it's an unexpected interpretation of it but it's not as if he came up with just a lord of the rings element yeah. in this movie just to make it more interesting yeah, as if he was sitting he and what's what was the other writer's name i can't remember oh yeah. it's uh i don't have my notes in front of me it's gary marshall i think that's him <laughs> it's uh, uh ari handel as if darren and ari my mm-hmm. friends darren and ari <laughs> dna is what i call them yeah uh they were hanging out and they were like you know when tubalcane and all his all his homies storm the ark Noah's not going to be able to hold off the, all those guys off. We need something to hold all those guys off. What are we going to do with that? And they were watching the two towers and they saw the right. ants and they were like, or whatever. They were like, oh. what if we had like almost like uh, like a gorilla, <laughs> but like bigger <laughs> and made of stone? Then yeah. now we're talking. It's like, well, that's. I mean, that's that's that sounds kind of monstrous. Oh, I think you're what on. If they to were something. rock monsters. You know what? There's something there about Nephilim. Done. Done. Doing it. Yeah. You know, you know what's interesting? When I first saw the rock monsters, now admittedly, uh, in the in the course of the of the film, uh, it seems that the rock monsters are actually helping like Tubalcain and his and his kind for a while before they turned on them. Mm-hmm. So it's like, okay, well, this interpretation doesn't necessarily bear itself out. But I did have the thought. There is a biblical idea that if people stop sir, stop praising the Lord, then the rocks and the trees will. Hmm. And I had this thought of like, what if in this world, all these other people besides Noah, all these other people have decided they are no longer going to praise God and the rocks literally came to life so that they could do that. I, that was the first thought I had when they, when the rock monsters first appeared. And then, of course, when they play into the story, it's like, okay, well, that interpretation doesn't, doesn't bear itself out. Sure. But for a few seconds, I was like – that would be awesome. <laughs> I would love that. That would be awesome. But anyway, so I just wanted to address the rock monsters. <laughs> um, j- just real quick, I, I I do want to comment a little bit on the theology behind that. Sure. First on the Nephilim because we have mentioned them and lots of people have questions about that. Like Josh said, there's tons of interpretations on it. Probably the most sound one, like the one that, leech- that reaches the least <laughs> – is uh really simple there are there are a few like really old words like uh that used to refer to upper class so one of the theories and and i think one of the more sound theories is that this word sons of god or nephilim giants is used for human kings and that whole thing about like and then the sons of God were having sex with the daughters of man. It was actually is actually an illustration of the complete top to bottom depravity of the culture that the kings, the ones that were supposed to represent everybody, were just doing whatever the heck they wanted, and people were letting them. So that's that's probably the the simplest way to deal with that. But the the idea that angels opposed God by wanting to help man. 
and were then cast down to earth, encased in in mud and whatnot. And then uh, upon asking for forgiveness, were granted it and brought home is beautiful. I agree with you. I think for the story and for the theme, it plays and it is powerful and it's awesome. And I actually really enjoyed it. Mm -hmm. Now, biblically speaking, all of the angels that opposed God are eternally condemned. Yeah. That is one of the reasons, um, one of the Peters, I can't remember if it's first or second, but it's one of the reasons that angels, we hold the gospel things which angel in which angels long to look there. There's this idea given to us in scripture of angels being fascinated by the forgiveness and redemption of man mm-hmm. because it was not granted to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so biblically speaking, the, the rock monster story can't play out, but we're also not, uh, Darren Aronofsky is not telling us a Bible story. So Indeed. not a big deal. <laughs> you know, uh, one theory, uh, cause, uh, what was it recently? I don't know. We were reading some, we were reading a book in, in our, uh, men's group Bible study, oh, yeah. uh, that talked about the Nephilim and oddly enough, his theory, tree monsters. <laughs> well, there's that. <laughs> That's a joke. Of course, that didn't actually happen. Um, I like the idea that the one thing everybody can – it's like, well, look, they're monsters. Of some kind. Of some kind of nature thing. I like the idea of there being a huge theological debate between people, whether it was rocks or trees. Yeah. yeah. One Brutal, like, violent fights have broken out over rocks or tree monsters. Churches have split. Fish monsters. Don't be ridiculous, Freddy. Sit down. Fish monsters. I have a doctorate. Freddy. Sit down. In fish monsters, maybe. It's like mid is actually in fish monsters. It's <laughs> <laughs> a correspondence course. <laughs> University of Phoenix. Um, uh, ITT Tech, oddly enough. <laughs> oh, um, man. So uh, before we move into before we move into the theme, are there any things that uh, here's the thing? There's stuff that I, that didn't really work for me all the time. Um, I can't. I'm not really. I can't really single anything out specifically but is there anything that didn't i I don't want anyone to think that we're saying there's a perfect film by any stretch Mm -hmm. it's ambitious Mm -hmm. and i tend to respect that and i think it's ambition uh uh yields a lot of great things but of course uh movies that are incredibly ambitious tend not to uh be perfect uh you know you can't keep all those plates spinning. Mm-hmm. Uh, so are there any things that you guys just didn't really respond to uh, artistically or, or thematically? There wasn't a whole lot artistically besides, like I already said, some of the CGI stuff, but uh, I did, I, I don't love the, um, the thematic aspect of the, uh, the, I guess kind of the more environmental stuff mm-hmm. that they talk about. Um, probably most of all, because I, f- I feel like it's coming, it's towing a pretty hard line of like God, God sees one of the sins in the world as the, uh, sees the killing and eating of animals as one of the world's sins, mm-hmm. which I don't think can hold up biblically. Right. Um, so and granted that wasn't a major theme of it. And like, like you said, it does, it does really hammer that the Cain killing Abel, like that's, that's where we see the, the world going wrong. Like yeah. that's, that's the best example and the biggest and most important example of, of, uh, the evil in the world. But it, it is definitely a regular through line that people have raped the earth for its resources and, and so on and so forth. And, um, 
there's a degree to that which I can I can agree to that with that to a degree, which is um, that God calls us to be good stewards of the earth, and mm-hmm. just destruction of it and, and wasteful use is not is not good. But um, I, I get a little bit of the sense that it's trying to connect it to modern day uh, the use of oil, for example, sure. and mm-hmm. and uh, eating meat as evils that are in our present day world that were some of the evils that God destroyed the world for back then. Right. So that theme I don't I'm not on board with. But again, I didn't, it wasn't. It's prevalent in there, but not enough so that I felt like that's the general theme of the movie, and right. I couldn't agree with it for that reason. Right. Yeah, I, I, I would settle with that. I would agree with that. I did, I did appreciate, like you said, like there's this reminder of man was created to steward the earth. Right. It's a good reminder. Yeah. Um, and and I can agree with the idea that it it wasn't God's original plan for man to eat the animals. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, I think. The Bible does support that after the fall, that is part of that is part of the way the world works, and even though that's not part of the plan, that's not that's not a sin in God's eyes. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. Um, and therefore, we don't need to discuss it further, <laughs> right? That's how it works. I believe that's so. Yeah, agree. We don't have to talk about it anymore. Um, <laughs> ever again in our lives, <laughs> not even just this episode. No, not the window. Resolved. Don't have to think about it. Just leave it be. Uh, the other. Well, there's a little bit of a plot device that I was like, really? Uh, Tubal Cain ends up getting, we've already covered that we're spoiling the heck out of this movie, right? <laughs> yeah. Tubal Cain ends up getting on the ark by hacking through the oh, side. Oh, yeah, of it. yeah, yeah. There's a hole in the boat, <laughs> is the first problem with that. The second problem with that is he's working with a hatchet and he's got about two minutes <laughs> to work through what we've seen to be layers of timber. Yeah. I remember thinking when you see him getting on the side of the building there or the, the arc there, I was like, Oh, he's not getting in. But then when he actually did get in, I was like, Oh, how did that? The rock monsters were slacking off on I that section. Of there the was boat. one hole. Yeah. I, well, when he got on the side, I was like, Oh wow. He's going to get on the top of that sucker. And this could go either, any, any direction after that. But nope, hacked right through the side. And I was like, well, that, I, that doesn't work at all. Yeah. <laughs> that, makes, that makes me think that it's just like that hole in the Death Star, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. It's not much bigger than two meters, but, you know, neither is a womp rat. I used to pull the bullseye those in my T-16 back home. Yeah, absolutely. Um, hang on a second. Let's, let's let that sit. <laughs> Shame on you. You're welcome, everyone. No way. I just want to start singing the President of the United States Death Star. <laughs> You've heard this song, right? Yes. Oh, man. Awesome. I don't think I have. Massive and maniacal. It's the Death Star. Totally indestructible. Death Star. Teeny weeny vulnerable hole. <laughs> that is the chorus. <laughs> anyway, so that, that, didn't, that didn't work. But then it led to actually an element of the story that I really liked, which was as soon as there's this moment of, okay, this is the new creation. Everyone else is dead. Dry land is appearing. The first thing that happens is is someone is killed. Yeah. And uh, I really appreciated that. But the other thing, after thinking about it this week, really appreciate And we'll, we'll talk about this as we talk about the themes. I really appreciated, like I said, the surprising amount of God's character, God's actual character that shows up in the film. But one of the, I think, pillars of how we know God is that he speaks. And in the movie... He speaks only in visions mm-hmm. and we know from scripture that he speaks 
audibly. Josh, you mentioned the the voice. Not many of us hear it uh, on a regular basis, but Noah did. In fact, the the flood, the promise of the flood, the judgment against man, the construction of the ark, all of it was spoken from God to directly to Noah. The covenant at the end that that God will never again flood the earth was spoken to Noah. And that's, that's one of the things it didn't spoil the film at all to me. I think if anything, it was probably an artistic choice because Mm -hmm. the voice of God is hard to cast and who wants more like, okay, we get it either. It's either going to be Liam Neeson, Liam Neeson's, excuse me. It's either going to be Liam Neeson's or it's going to be James Earl Jones. Yeah. And it's going to be this booming, almost un inhuman voice that none of us relate to. And it's not going to, it's going to be totally void of human emotion. And, eh. and yeah, it's, so it's hard to do. And that's the thing. If you, and if you don't do it exactly right. And by the way, I don't know what exactly right. Yeah, sounds like no it'll just be laughable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It'll, it, you'll think of Monty Python. You'll mm-hmm. think of Simpsons. Mm-hmm. You'll think of any number of comedy things. Mufasa. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, sure. Yeah. And, and so I, I, I'm fine with it not being there. Yeah. But, I did think it was at least worth noting that God speaks and that's a really big deal. Yeah. I, I think you can watch it and believe that he does hear words from God in some way. Just, we don't hear them necessarily. Yeah. I feel like that could be a read on it. And I believe Methuselah has an interesting line that I, that I struck me in a way that I liked, um, in which he says, you know, the creator speaks in a way that you can understand. Or something like that. Yeah, mm-hmm. he does um, say that. And I and I like that line a lot mm-hmm. um, because it's something I need to remind myself of. That certainly it's not always remarkably intelligible, uh, but so, and but often I it comes down to me having to get myself out of the way. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, and in my case, it's it's almost always uh, you know God speaks by just uh, something just falling in my lap, or hey, incidentally. Uh, like uh, starting a Christian podcast came about because uh, I was kind of thinking about it. And then somebody at my men's group said, Hey, you should start a Christian podcast about movies. That person, Nathan Potter. Do you remember that? I do. Very exciting. Hey, so, um, right. and then of course I couldn't afford it. And then somebody else said, Hey, here's some money for that Christian podcast. And it's like, okay, well, I guess I better do this then. Yeah. That person, Josh Long. That's yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you keep hounding me for that. I thought it was a gift, um, but uh, you sent some some rather beefy guys to my house the other day, and uh, I told them I, I don't got it. You know, I made sometimes you a co-host to try to even it out, and I don't think that's you know, right. sometimes people don't make my uh, give me my money back. Sometimes those people's legs get broken. It's not you know. Yeah, it's just a coincidence. It's just things that happen. It's, it's the, the world we live in. Mm, that is some good OJ. <laughs> um, okay, so. Uh, to get into some of the themes and that's the thing, I don't want to, I don't want to get for lack of a better term bogged down in every possible theme the film could have. Sure. I want to zero in on one thing. There's a lot going on, but I want to focus in on one thing. Uh, and that is the idea. And we do have a companion film. We'll get to that in a moment. Uh, the idea of justice and grace, um, because a lot of people, uh, Christian or otherwise, when they approach God, and even including me from time to time, uh, they have a hard time lining those two things up. That, you know, God is a God of love, but also judgment. People often focus on one more than the other. And so uh, 
so that and of course when we're dealing with a story like Noah's Ark, Sodom and Gomorrah, like any number of like especially Old Testament things, we have this image in our mind of a judgmental, wrathful God. And to a certain extent, uh makes sense. You know, he does flood the earth and yeah. uh oh, real quick, I do enjoy the visual of when the uh when the camera pans back to see the entire world oh. uh, covered in clouds. Covered in mm-hmm. hurricane clouds, yeah. specifically. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of like that. Yeah, but anyway, I did too. Um, but yeah, so it, understandable why someone think he is wrathful. This is his wrath. He is. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, but that's all they see. Mm-hmm. And people, that's the thing. And people look at the story of Noah's Ark and they say, yes, yes, Noah and, and the Ark and that sort of thing. But what about all these other people? And they focus on this admittedly this seemingly horrible thing Mm -hmm. and they and they fail to recognize and this is something that i love that the film does there comes a moment when noah is talking about his family and he points out every like not every single thing but he points out what is like something that each person does that makes them unworthy of being on that boat including him including his wife. And what he, by the way, what he says uh, about he and his wife, he says, is there anything you wouldn't do for our family? What he's basically saying is you and I, is like, we act like we're so much better than everybody else. But when it comes right down to it, we would kill for our kids. There's no question about it. And no, actually has. Yeah. Oh, yes, that's he true. He does in the movie. Indeed. And so it's that acknowledgement that, now, what's interesting is he then carries that to a different extreme. He, he comes to a different conclusion than one would assume. Uh, he comes to the conclusion that because we uh, don't deserve to be here, then our job was literally just to get the animals on the ark. And then when the waters recede, we'll let the animals go. And then we will just live to our old age. We will not breed and humanity will die. So literally just – continued judgment and wrath mm-hmm. um whereas you know that's one interpretation and that's the interpretation that takes him throughout the rest through the rest of the film uh and then the other interpretation is of course that yeah nobody deserves to like nobody really earns their way onto the ark it's literally just they're worshiping god and he gave this to them out of mercy and that was it they don't deserve it. It is a gift. It is mercy. It is grace. It is all of these things. And uh, I've been talking for a while. Like, what did you guys think about the portrayal of that theme? Hmm. I liked it. <laughs> okay. So we got a pro. Me too. Yeah. We got, okay. I am so, for mercy. Okay. okay. <laughs> I, I also vo- happen to be for justice. Yes. I vote I. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, looks like the eyes have it. All right. There we go. We'll get you next time. Well, thanks, everyone. (laughs) Thanks, everybody, for listening. Uh, This has been really good. We'll be back next week. Uh, Tyler's actually not going to do the show anymore. I will. And uh, we'll be talking about – I may or may not be here. Maybe. We'll be talking about the 4-4 defense. (laughs) Oh, jeez. Right? The whole thing will change. In that case, I will not be here. (laughs) Is is that a movie? No, that's a a 4-4 defense. Sounds like a sci-fi film. That's a football thing. Uh, I I liked it a lot. I thought – the fact that, and, and we touched on it earlier a little bit, you and you just said a lot of people, they look at the flood and they say, like, how is that God loving? And 
the answer of course is, well, you're asking the wrong question. Mm-hmm. Um, it, that question begs another, what exactly do you define as love? Because if God loves all of his creation, then he has to cleanse it. Right. He has to purify it from what is defiling and destroying it. Mm-hmm. So the greater question is why would God let any humans on the boat right. at all? Which is the thing that Noah struggles with, which yep. I think that's a great, that's a great addition that he struggles awesome. with that. Yeah. And the very fact that, you know, you mentioned cleansing, like they, in the, in the film, he talks about fire destroys, water cleanses. Mm-hmm. And then somebody talks about the ending. He says, it's not an ending. It's a beginning. Like mm-hmm. just constantly framing. That's one of the things I, that I like about the movie, constantly framing it <clears throat> different than I'm sure anybody, including, you know, I mean, Darren Aronofsky is an atheist. I'm sure there's a lot of things he doesn't buy into in the Bible. Mm-hmm. For example, the Bible, um, God, as God, concept. yeah, like but he wants to give it its due and recognize it for what it for what it is, or at least what it is uh, attempting to do in his mm-hmm. eyes. Um, and I like that. This idea is like, yeah, you could view it as this horrible thing, or you could view it as a new beginning and a cleansing. You look at that way. You look at it that way, and people are much more on board. Yeah. Um, but I'm sorry, I interrupted you. You were no, you were that's okay. I, I was toward the end of my thought. I think. Okay. Um, Oh, and I, I also, uh, along with the portrayal of mercy in the movie, I think uh, if if you were watching it through a lens of like, okay, who deserves to be on the boat? You could definitely tally why no one deserves to be on the boat. Right. But the greatest sin that Noah commits on screen is he refuses to show mercy. Mm-hmm. There's a moment when there is a young woman who has clearly been um, – um, abused and ostracized by the men in the, in the camp. And she is trapped in what seems to be a bear trap. Mm-hmm. Her ankles caught in it. And ham is pleading with his father to help her get out of it. Yeah. And he looks her dead in the face and bails on her. Yeah. And that the first thing I thought of was I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And God, God said that a couple of times. Okay. And, <laughs> And if if God is a God of mercy, then one of the chief things he desires for his people to show as his image bearers is mercy. Mm-hmm. And he is he has shown mercy to Noah and his family, and here Noah is denying that mercy yeah. to someone in need of it. I thought that was that that struck me. It is I a, actually it's very impactful that scene. Yeah, yeah. I, I actually had a physical reaction to it. I kind of like lunged forward in my seat, like, no, 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 no. Yeah. Um so I love that. And and then I don't know if it plays into mercy. It's kind of the revealing of mercy to Noah. So I guess it plays into that. But the girl who doesn't belong in this family. Mm-hmm. Uh, played by Emma Watson. Who does a great job. Yeah, yeah. I think she's great. I think. Yeah. Um, she approaches Noah after he's been on the beach who knows how long playing the Jimmy Buffett game. <laughs> Uh, just hanging out on the beach being a drunkard. Yeah. And she says something to the effect of you had to choose justice or mercy and you chose mercy. And that's why he chose you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause he knew you would make that choice. And that is the point where I think the movie goes against that interpretation that we mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. which is that what God really wants is just for you to do what he said. And it's only these people right. and that's it. Right. Um, 
that I feel like that moment is the movie saying, no, God wants mercy. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's why this happened the way that it did. And Mm -hmm. I I think it sees Noah's Noah's leaving that girl that you mentioned earlier. It sees that as a lapse in what Mm -hmm. God would have wanted him to do. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's the thing is one, one thing that I feel like Christians for the most part, myself included, uh, we tend to, we take the temperature of culture and we see, okay, what is the part of Christianity that culture might like? Mm-hmm. Grace and love now is what culture likes. Understandable. I like it too. It is what makes Jesus, Jesus. It's pretty good. It's not bad. Look, I'm not saying I'm against it. I'm just saying maybe let's not play it up so much. No, it's, <laughs> that's not the point. But what I'm saying is that, um, is that if you have that choosing that over justice at all times, means that let's let's look at it from the standpoint of this film if god is only loving then to the point where he won't punish anybody that's not because that's not well okay i know uh (laughs) you're getting ahead of me sorry sorry (laughs) slow down sorry Um, my name's on the uh on the logo that josh's wife designed um (laughs) but the uh my name's on the Vista print business cards I printed off for myself. Um, and so, uh, but that's the thing. So what we often define as love is just letting somebody do whatever they want and never imposing your will upon them. So if God does that, then think of the absolute murderous, horrible things that are being allowed to happen in the, in this film. So that's if you go with mercy and love all the way down the line. And again, I'm reluctant to say love because that's not love. As yes, you say. it goes all the way down the line. It ends up actually just being hatred. Yes. Allowing someone to, to live to their own destruction yeah. and say nothing is the purest form of hatred there mm-hmm. is. Nice. Can I put that on a t-shirt? It's too long. <laughs> um, and nobody buys our t-shirts anyway. But, uh, <laughs> but that doesn't stop me from designing them. It's very strange. I, I would get like a pillow. You like stitch that on a pillow. Fair somewhere. enough. <laughs> stitch it on a pillow. I'd buy that. <laughs> I would love it if someone's grandma <laughs> knit a pillowcase that said, letting someone live to their own destruction is the purest form of hatred. That would be amazing. <laughs> um, and there's a Dennis Miller quote that's similar to that. He says, like, isn't the worst thing you – it's like, isn't the most insulting thing you can uh, like expect of another person – uh, isn't it to have absolutely no expectation of them uh, or something like that? I don't remember mm-hmm. exactly, yeah, I, I, but I remember yeah. it struck me as, as really interesting. But so that's so if you take mercy, one could say also a, like a permissive attitude, like all the way down the line. It seems like you're the nice guy, but look what happens. However, if you take judgment all the way down the line and literally Noah is operating on the theory for a good portion of the film, he's operating on the theory that. It, judgment above all else is what's happening. Humanity is done. It is over. And he is of that opinion when he chooses not to help that girl. Mm-hmm. Because not only is it, well, I need to save my own son in this moment, but it's also, what does it matter? Mm-hmm. Either now or later, she's going to die. There is no, it's like, she's probably done something just as much as anybody else. Right. She deserves it just as I do. My family needs to get on to tend to the animals and then we'll die. Yeah. We all deserve judgment. Like there's no, it becomes this very like depressing thing. But like, I feel like in, in Christianity, it's, it's not so much in fashion anymore, but the idea of like focusing on only justice and doing what's right, like that becomes 
really uh, very unrelenting to the point where what's the point in helping somebody? It, it becomes this very uh, a very negative attitude in which there's no point in anything anymore. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it becomes too heavy a burden to bear. Yeah, yeah. It, which is. I was going to say that's why I think it's important in the film that that scene comes almost right on the heels of the scene where he's talking to his wife saying, mm-hmm. we're all here. Here are all the things that yeah. we do that we did wrong. We we're just as bad. Yeah. Um, and so and that's the thing is like, whereas if you temp, if you if you balance them both and recognize that they need to happen, we don't like we want justice. We may not act like the word justice gets thrown around in a, in a, in a certain way these days. Um but justice literally means like the punishment of wrongdoing. And we all want that. We tend not to want it for ourselves, but we all want that. That's not a thing we would want to do without. Uh, but then we also want grace because we want, we like the idea of forgiveness and the idea that we will not have to pay every punishment, uh, for our, for our Mm -hmm. actions. And so, um, but both are necessary because if you go too far in either direction, you wind up with hate. Um, as, as Nathan said. Um, and so, uh, I will give a quick, uh, and that's the thing, like the story of Noah's Ark, whether it be in the Bible or in this film, it is a story of mercy, grace, and love. And I will bring up very quickly our companion film. Cause I don't want to spend too much, uh, too much time on it. Um, the companion film is John Ford's the searchers, a Western, that uh, that I love and is largely considered to be one of the best westerns, if not the best western, not the hotel, uh, <laughs> the best western of all time. And it's outstanding. And it is a wonderful film, one that I had to watch a second time in order to really appreciate. Um, and the the story of it is very simple. Uh, John Wayne plays uh, a character who uh, is a Civil War vet. And he kind of has his own demons and he's very racist against the uh, Native Americans and that sort of thing. Uh, and then uh, some Comanches come along and like kill like his – some of his family and they kidnap his niece who he has a tremendous af- affection for. And so he and a friend of his uh, and then various uh, companions, they go searching for her. Oh, yeah, the searchers. That's Hence the name of the. That's oh, where it comes from. Because yeah. that's what they're doing during yeah. the movies. Uh, searching. I thought his name was Ethan Searcher, and he's from the Searcher family. That's what I. Th- I thought that's what it was. Like that's why Simpsons. you had to go back and watch it a second time, and you're yeah. like, no one in this movie is named Searcher. What's going on this here? This movie's bad. <laughs> Wait, what, what? What is his name in that movie? Uh, his name is Ethan Edwards. Edwards. Ethan, that's right. And so, yeah, Uncle Ethan is he's yeah. uh, referred to, and so, uh, so he and his friends companions are going they're searching for this girl but it becomes clear over time he has such a hatred for the comanches or the comanche i think as he calls them mm, the uh, has, what was that uh, it was a really bad john wayne impression Go, speaking of, speaking of that sort of thing i just rewatched big trouble in little china and uh, boy oh boy kurt russell's having a lot of fun in that <laughs> <Man>. movie <laughs> um, i love that movie <laughs> but uh anyway so uh so he has an idea of what they are, and indeed his idea is rooted in in things that they've done, which is they are going to turn his beloved niece into one of them, like philosophically. It's kind of – what is it? Uh, Stockholm Syndrome. Stockholm Syndrome. Thank you. Um, like she will start to identify with them and their values and their way of life and his general attitude is like – and it becomes clear pretty, pretty, pretty soon like, oh – 
when he finds her, he's going to kill her because in his mind, it is better that she is dead than be this thing over Better here. dead than red. Better dead than red oh. skinned. <laughs> Think about that. I know, that's why, I know that's what you said. I thought about <laughs> it. Anyway, uh, I, I just added a word. Uh, and so, um, and so that's the thing is, and so at the end when he finally finds her and you wind up, it, it's, it's interesting because you spend the whole film wanting him to find her. And then when he, and then towards the end, you're like, well, I don't want him to find her because he's yeah. going to kill her. Uh, and then one of his friends is like, I'm not going to let that happen. And you start to feel like, okay, we're heading towards a place where John Wayne's going to get shot. Uh, because of what he wants to do, uh, because he's such a broken, angry man that he has, he feels like he has to do this thing. And then eventually when faced with his niece, uh, he does not, he hugs her and says, let's go home. And it is a moment that actually I'm getting a little teary eyed right now. Just that idea of like, when it comes right down to it, just as Noah, he has the opportunity to kill these babies and end humanity and the next generation of humanity. Uh, and in that moment, it's like feeling this is what should happen. It is better that this person or people is better that they are dead than be this thing and feeling like they have a duty to do this, but then love and mercy takes over and they realize nobody's irredeemable that there's always hope. There is always grace and if perhaps if I show somebody grace, then that can be a, a transformative act, uh, just as it is, you know, when God show, you know, show grace to us. And so, um, I probably, I probably shouldn't, uh, you know, gone through that so <laughs> quickly <those> over that. <laughs> it's like, yeah, yeah, we get it. Um, you know. but that's the thing. And so the, the story of Noah's Ark, as we've said, uh, is one of mercy above all else. And I, one of the one of the reasons, aside from n- the nostalgia factor, one of the reasons that Nathan I wanted to have you on was I remember you had a very specific way of approaching the story of Noah's Ark, and also something that I think we've talked about on the show before is how the Old Testament is is often, if not always, pointing to Christ, even in thing, even in ways that you don't expect. And I will be I'll read a passage later on. Um, and so with Noah's Ark, what do you got, Nathan? Explain oh. it to me. <laughs> <laughs> Say something pastoral. Yeah. Um, <laughs> can I make a connection between Noah's Ark and the searchers? By all means. Um, that, I, I was, it just kind of hit me. Uh, John Wayne's Ethan, uncle Ethan sees his niece and there is mercy. There's a mm-hmm. recognition that she's a human being. Yeah. And, and if I remember, it's been a while since I saw the movie, but if I remember right, suddenly there's this like switch that flips and he recognizes that all of them are human beings Mm -hmm. and he's kind of been wrong the whole time. And that connects in with something that I I also recognize in the difference between Tubal Cain and Noah. When Noah tells the creation story, his emphasis is the creator as it should be. Um, his emphasis, but secondarily, his emphasis is creation mm-hmm. in general. Tubal Cain's emphasis is man is the image of God, mm-hmm. and that element is suspiciously left out of Noah's creation story, which is why Noah is not bent toward more toward mercy mm-hmm. 
I think I could be interpreted in the film wrong, but uh, it seemed to me that Noah somewhere along the way had forgotten that man is, is supremely valuable mm-hmm. among mm-hmm. creation because he is the, the image bearer of God. And that, that truth rings, rings in the searchers as well. That's just really amazing. Well, and it speaks to that last line and that last flash of recognition in Ethan where literally like he's uh, he's he's gonna kill her there's no question and i believe she says something to the effect of please uncle ethan and by saying first off by saying uncle ethan it is a reminder i'm you i am a part of you and then he picks her up and says let's go home like this this acknowledgement like we are connected as much as i think she's this other thing she was mine first mm-hmm. and yes maybe i shouldn't be comparing this racist cowboy to god (laughs) but it's this it's this idea of like we were gods first and thus we it's like yes we are also sinners as well but he has a claim on us and he's going to collect and that's where the mercy comes from Mm -hmm. he has not given up on us and so in the terms of noah's ark it's this idea that you talked about that Jesus is the ark. Mm-hmm. Um, can you can you uh, expound on that? Uh, not terribly. It's really that simple. Okay. But the the flood is a flood of God's judgment mm-hmm. and wrath in order to cleanse the earth. And the thing that preserves Noah and his family from that wrath is the ark. Mm-hmm. Similarly, uh, all mankind is under the wrath of God. We are by nature rebellious against him and so to to use the searcher's analogy when he says come home we defiantly say no yeah you go home mm-hmm. and that's when the wrath comes but christ uh by god's grace and mercy has borne that wrath already mm-hmm. and now invites us to be in him um that and that that phrase in christ is repeated again and again and again in the in the New Testament, I don't think purposely pointing back to the Ark alone. I think plays a lot of of roles. Just that one phrase, but one of them must be to to help us to think of Him as our hiding place and, and our salvation. Not unlike the Ark was for Noah and his family. Um. So yeah, it is very much a, a symbol for mercy mm-hmm. and one that points to what Jesus would eventually do embody justice and grace in one person. Yeah. Um, and I will, uh, along those lines and speaking in terms of the ending of the searchers and Noah, um, there's a, uh, passage here from Genesis, Genesis twenty two fifteen through 18. This is, uh, the end of the account of, uh, Abraham who was called to, uh, sacrifice his son, Isaac, uh, and then at the very last minute, uh, God stopped him. And so this is after that. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham. Now my phone just turned off. Uh, mm-hmm. See, this is why I should have printed out. The I got to hear you. I'm going to go. Go ahead. Yes. All right. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies, and though your and through your offspring, all the nations of the earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. All right. 
Now, if you're like me, you read through that and there is one phrase that jumps out at you like, uh, I don't know, a lion or something. Uh, and it is your only son. That type of language reminds me a lot of, well, the New Testament in general and the emphasis on, you know, God's only begotten son, that whole thing. And so, you know, another instance of the Old Testament pointing, pointing to the New Testament is Abraham was allowed his own son. He was, he was spared his son. And God did not spare his son, you know. And so, you know, in the case of the searchers and Noah, like these, you know, these kids, uh, these one could say innocent children, like they are spared. Um, but in the end, Jesus was not innocent. Uh, sorry, Jesus was innocent and he was not spared. And so like that hopefully can give you hope like. And there's a there's such a clear. I, it was a, only a few years ago that I thought of this idea, this connection between Abraham and and what he was called to do. And then at the very last moment, nope, you don't have to do this. And then God not sparing himself that pain um, of loss. And so, uh, speaking of the transformational, transformative, transformational, which one works? I Both, think it's transformative, depending on, depending on the context. I oh, let's say let's say transformative. Okay. Um, Second Corinthians five twenty one, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And so, that is what we are talking about when we talk about mercy. When you watch Noah, you will see wrath, mm-hmm. and that is the thing that people remember with Noah's Ark, the story of Noah's Ark. But we also see tremendous mercy and we see and we see the image of Jesus in being spared that wrath and a sense of responsibility that that, can, that, that will hopefully cause in us and recognizing mercy when we see it hmm. um, and recognizing that God is not merely a God of judgment and wrath but and justice, but also one of mercy, grace and love. Hmm. Um, Okay, I think we'll end it there. Uh, I do know that this uh, this film has a lot of a lot of people have opinions about it. Maybe you agree with us, maybe you do not. Um, so, if you have any uh, any questions or comments, you can email me Tyler at more than one lesson dot com or Josh or both. Uh, but Josh is at uh, Josh at more than one lesson dot com. You can let's see, join the Facebook group. You can sign up for our newsletter. You can follow me on Twitter at More Lessons. You can follow Josh at the Josh Long. At the Josh Long. Uh, Nathan, is there any is there anywhere people can find you online? Uh, I'm on Instagram. Hey, all right. What's Nathan. your name? Do you just type in Nathan Potter and you got it? Nathan L H Potter, all one word. Nathan La Potter, right? La Potter. Sure. sure. That, that's your that's your name, right? It's my, the two. I have two middle names. My two middle Nathan names. Liam Hippa Potter. Close. <laughs> Close. Yeah, that two name, that two middle name thing. Ugh, no, thank you. It's good. It sounds. It sounds. I wish I had to. That'd be fun. I mean, I, I was told when I was pretty young that it sounds like regal. Nathan what Lee Hastings Potter. Admittedly, those two middle names go very well together. Yeah. Nathan Lee Hastings Potter the third Esquire. You've got a whole <laughs> other name in the middle of your That's two true. names. Yeah. Lee Hastings. <laughs> it's like I'm two people. Yeah. <laughs> um. All right. Well, uh, hopefully, hopefully people enjoyed this episode and got something out of it. Uh, the, uh, 
if you have not seen the film and listened to two hours of this, uh, you've got to be at least a little bit. <laughs> I hope your interest was at least peaked. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and what I will say is like, perhaps you listened to this and thought, well, now I don't need to see the movie. Yes, you do. It's a visual, sure. it's a visual Marvel and yeah. it should probably see, be seen on a big screen. I, I knew that, it, I know that uh, it's on some IMAX screens. I kind of wish that we had seen it that way. Yeah. I'm I better, sure. I better have been, it would have been gorgeous. Borderline overwhelming. It would have been really uh, Yeah, probably. Um, but that's all right. That's how Aronofsky works. But sure. anyway, okay. Uh, Nathan, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening folks. It's good to talk to you again. Can I say that? Wow, you really fumbled the ball there. Yeah, uh, sorry, guys. And Josh, thanks for being here. Um, uh, I'm happy to. Uh, I'm glad I was oh here. My oh, that's ice cold, <laughs> guys. I just want to. Uh, I just want to say, oh man, what? Uh, now I'm not doing well. Oh, good night. Man, this, good night, everyone. We'll get you next time. Bye. <laughs>